The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the Homes Reports editor in EMEA and I'm here in London today with Steph Bailey, um, MD and senior partner, Fleischmann-Hillard-Fishburn's corporate division. Steph, welcome to the Echo Chamber. Thank you very much. Um, now you're here to talk, to talk about a brand new bit of research from the agency, um, hot off the press today in fact. Um, the authenticity gap, we're calling it, in uh, looking at the issues where consumers are expecting brands to take a stand, which obviously impacts a, a quite wide slice of the comms industry. Can you talk us through the um, evolution of the, the research? It's in its seventh year now, isn't it, and where the idea came from? So, yeah, absolutely. So for the last seven years, we've looked at um, the intersection between brand and reputation. And in particular, <clears throat> the gap that has been created where brands have failed to understand the um, expectations of the audiences um, next to the experience that they have. And as a result, there's been a disconnect that is either filled with misinformation from um, their competitors or from um, other groups, or alternatively, it is filled with um, information which has been created and generated where that vacuum exists. So um, we've been looking at that for the last seven years. Um, but on top of that, what we wanted to do um, was to create a pool of data that would be helpful to our clients and our prospects that showed what the issues are that our um customers feel most um, strongly about. So there are 52 issues that we poll against and those issues range from everything from knife crime, gun crime to um, climate change and violence against women. So a huge mm. um, range of different things that we look at. So let's talk through the main findings this year. What are the top issues where people are wanting and expecting companies to make a stand? Well, this year... Um, as last year, um, data security and data privacy come out top. And it's no surprise, given the context of where we see tech companies mm. in particular, that individuals um, feel most concerned with how that the data, and particularly their own individual data, is being used. So how, how may, what's the kind of proportion of people who feel like that's a, the most pressing issue? And, and what, why is that still, still number one? Why haven't we cracked this yet? Um, well, there are a number of reasons. Um, data privacy and data security aren't one and the same. So when we originally did this, we bundled them together. But clearly, it, you know, once we dug a little deeper, it was clear that the two were very separate. Um, the rationale behind why is, you know, I can hypothesize, I would guess there have been some incredibly high profile data breaches mm -hmm. um, where customers um, have suddenly learned and suddenly understood the depth of data that, um, you know, corporates, companies hold about yeah. them. And until that time, they probably weren't as aware about what information was being stored. So that that has been a big trigger point. Um, GDPR is part of that and yeah, of um, the, the new regulation coming into effect. 
um, has made this very top of mind for the media, which means it's come into the um, public conscience in a way that it hadn't before. And then on the um, data privacy, um, this has been top of mind as part of GDPR, but it's also been top of mind because of the tech companies, particularly in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, things like Cambridge Analytica, what's happening with Facebook, Amazon, um, Google, these are issues that have been kind of swirled around within the media for the last two years. And I think that has made them very topical. Yeah. And that is likely to continue next year, I would have thought. As I, a... I would agree. <laughs> so what's number two on the list of issues? Well, once you get past the data issues, then the most surprising thing, and for me personally, the thing that gives me hope and reassurance is that finally the environment has taken the next slot. Okay. And the reason why I say it gives me hope is that the last time we did this, it came out as number 17. Right. Okay. That's a big jump. It's a massive jump. So we've gone from 39% of consumers thinking that this is an issue that companies should take a stand on to now 59% of consumers. Okay. That's essentially one in three. Um, two. Hang on. My mouse is terrible. <laughs> it's a lot of consumers. Um, and... You know, I think that's in no small part to the Greta effect. So the fact that we are seeing Generation Z take a stand and show us, older generation, that actually this is an issue we should be thinking Mm. about. And is that that true across, you looked at a number of like 20 industries or something in the survey, is that true across industry sectors that dominance of of, um, the climate emergency for consumers? It's true across the board, but particularly prevalent in certain sectors. And it would be the, it's the sectors that you would expect. So, you know, the textile industry, you can see it coming up as a top Mm. three issue. You can also see it impacting on finance in a way that it really hasn't before. And there are a number of reasons. So if we look at finance in particular, Um, I wouldn't say that's just simply the Greta effect or the Extinction Rebellion. I would say that's also coupled with ESG. And so there is a regulatory environment that has now created a situation where activist investors Mm. are now forcing companies to have a much better narrative around what they're doing about the environment. So it's it's impacting on all sorts of sectors for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah, and another great one is obviously the food and beverage sector and this is a particularly interesting one because they're not just hit at one point Mm. with their supply chain it impacts on everything including so for them it's water supply Mm -hmm. it's um, it's plastics which I mean you could say um, from the David Attenborough like the whale that was probably a big tipping point particularly within UK consumers where they suddenly saw in huge, like a huge visual representation of what was happening to their plastic supply. Yeah, that feels like a real tipping point, doesn't it? I mean, it's everything from food production to the the recycling, single-use plastics. It's kind of really, it's starting to um, become so much more prominent in the in the public. Yeah, domain. and there there is a there is um you know that what again I I see great hope in <clears throat> all of this in that. Suddenly, what was taken for granted is being questioned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it does sometimes um, 
you know, we should be quite um, aware that it's, a, it's the next generation who are forcing us to question some of the things we took for granted. So if I look at um, recycling as an yeah. industry, how many people question what happens to their recycling? They feel that just because they are putting plastics within the blue bin, as Put it, it in were, my big bin, it will forget be dealt about it after with. that, right? Right. But <laughs> we we can see by you know what happened last year with the rejection from China mm. of the plastics coming in from Canada, and you know this huge kind of backlash against these big, you know, tankers containing our waste. Mm. This is not simply a consumer issue. This is an issue impacting on big corporates, and they should be aware of this. And tell me a bit about the buzzword of the moment, purpose. Where does that come? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's bound to be in there somewhere. Where does this come <laughs> up in the research? Oh, of course. Um, well, I, I, we don't particularly ask about purpose because purpose is such an ambiguous word. Mm. And actually... What we want to do with this research is give some kind of tangible um, examples that would help companies kind of be able to navigate what is quite a difficult thing to navigate. Mm. So um, I think within, I mean, this is called the echo chamber. So I think we we talk amongst ourselves and we talk in jargon. And as a result, we feel very smug because we feel that we've solved the problem. But for many of our clients, they listen and they say, well, you're not giving me tangible examples of what I Mm. should do and you're not you know you're giving me these lovely big kind of opaque words but actually what does purpose mean what do values mean Mm. how is that applicable for my business and how do I actually make a difference and we, we, I don't think we've given the right kind of answers to that. And it, so is the is this study going to help you give better answers to those sorts of client questions? Yes which is good, right? <laughs> but essentially um, what it allows us to do, because it it takes the issues and then on top of that it looks at the sectors and then further it looks at um, the nine drivers of reputation, what that allows you to do is look within your sector at what the drivers of reputation actually are. And so you can decide, right, loads of people, for example, are talking about the environment, but within my sector, it's not a priority. Mm. Therefore, I would be better off not focusing on that. I would instead be better off at looking at credible communications, as an example, or um, how I communicate to my employees. Mm. So what it does is kind of, allows companies to navigate through the fog. Okay, and not just jump on any old bandwagon because everyone seems to be talking about it. And that, that's a really important point because, um, and this is this is the frustration, and you can see this in the negative reaction to, I mean, Pepsi is a well-known example, mm. and I would I feel huge sympathy for the team involved in that because, you know, I can't imagine these decisions are ever made um, without huge consideration. But... I would say that was a good example of where if a company's brand doesn't match the expectations of its audience, then suddenly having an opinion about an issue that feels completely divorced Mm. to what that brand represents, it just falls flat. Yeah, well, it might just be an internal conversation that hasn't ever made it out of the building before as any sort of external messaging or positioning. So it just feels random, doesn't it, really? I think that's exactly right. So the the randomness and, uh, you know, 
and it's easy for me. I, I work in an agency. I'm in this kind of wonderful bubble where I've, you know, I, I clearly am very opinionated and I, I know exactly what I want. I'm not working within an internal system in which you have somebody who has a cause that they want to champion mm. and they want to be able to kind of you know, turn things around on a certain issue. And it's sometimes it's very hard for comms teams to be able to have the data to push back on those mm. those things, particularly when you've got someone in, within the C-suite who's very passionate about an issue. But I would say, I, and I would say it very strongly, that we're now within an environment that you can cause much more reputational damage if you do that and it is not aligned to where your brand okay. is. Okay, so talking about the wrong things is kind of worse than saying nothing at all almost, isn't it? I would actually say mm. that's true. Um, and, you know, it's and it is a, it's a consequence of the organisational culture that we've developed. So um, again, I'm, I'm going to get absolutely slammed for this, but I think um, we've created companies where the marketing teams are siloed off from the corporate affairs team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what happens is these brilliant, beautiful, creative campaigns are developed with significant kind of um, impetus around them and they're put through the paid media kind of funnel yeah. and out they go but no one from the corporate affairs team has actually looked at that and decided what the reputational impact could be mm. and consequently because the marketing teams have to do things quickly and they have to be much more agile and they have to get competitor advantage the resulting potential ne negative impact is not even considered mm. and is can be considerable. So the, the studies is waving a big red flag that corporate comms and creative and marketing teams need to work a lot closer together because there's no way of escaping uh, the impact of societal change, technological change, political change, all these big issues. It ha they everyone has to be talking to each other internally because it impacts on it impacts on the creative, the position you take, and it also impacts on reputation depending on what creative idea so, so this with. is all common sense I mean yeah. you're saying this to me and I'm like of course yeah you know absolutely but those silos still exist don't they 100% so so this is the frustration I feel many of my clients have is that I will say this to them and they will nod enthusiastically yeah. but they'll be like we cannot change our organizational structures yeah. and my plea to you know the c-suite this you know senior level is that your organisational structures could effectively derail your business and yeah. the impact on your bottom line is going to be significant. Yeah. So, like That's brand quite a and warning, reputation. Steph. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like brand and reputation need to be aligned. Yeah. Otherwise, okay. it will have a detrimental effect. So, the, your research also looks at what consumers expect business leaders as individuals to be talking about. Talk right. us through some of the results there. So what, and we have these terms, and again, because we work in PR, we love a term. So activist CEO is the latest and the greatest. Totally and it's is. wonderful. Yep. Um, and our research shows that you shouldn't take a, a stand unless it's an issue that's aligned to your brand. And again, this is just totally what I've been saying already, you know, that 76, I mean, it's it's significant because of the potential negative impact on reputation. If a leader decides to take a stand mm. on a significant issue, then they cannot 
they can't go rogue, not in the way that they did before, because it impacts on their investors, it impacts on their shareholders, and it impacts on the, sh- the consumers that will make purchasing decisions. Okay. So they, can, can business leaders only talk about things that are completely aligned with the business in terms of those big issues? Or is there an, are there things that are so big, like climate change, that we're wanting to hear from business leaders as well as, as, or if not more than politicians. But I would argue that climate change is aligned to every business. Okay. And I would argue that data also is aligned to every business. So there are certain issues which which we've identified, which every company should at least have a line to take on. Mm. Um, And the bolder and more proactive, and the ones probably that are going to survive, are the ones that are going to be able to kind of see this tipping point and take advantage of it. So uh, uh, what what about personal viewpoints? Where's the gap there between what leaders are uh, are going to want to talk about? Right. I mean, and this is this is where it becomes um more grey. Mm. Um and the whole point of the authenticity gap is to understand that in you know, consumers understand that leaders have to be credible. So if there are personal causes which they follow and which they are passionate about, then that can actually be part of their identity, mm. but only if it's part of something that they then align to the business. So they need to work with their comms teams to ensure that the business gives them the rationale for um, following those issues. Okay. And not go rogue, as you oh. said. <laughs> this is terrifying. I think that was my turn. What a huge responsibility. <laughs> now, just as a side note here, this is a survey of um, UK consumers. Right. And we're defining them as engaged consumers. So yes. to talk, what is an engaged consumer? Um, are they just the ones who are doing the most tweeting or is it a bit more No, not just that? that. So we spend, so the last seven years, the reason why we, we spend this time is because we take a huge number of um, consumers and then we whittle them down through a process I'm not allowed to share because apparently it's trade secret, but we whittle them down. So the best analogy is if you were going to buy a car, mm. right, you could go onto the internet and look for, I need a car. Or you could go to your friend Dave, who reads Auto Trader, who knows every car inside out. We've all got a Dave. There's always a Dave, right? (laughs) Now, these engaged consumers are Dave. Mm. They are the people. So what we do is we ask a series of questions to find out how much they understand about the sector, how how engaged they are, whether they are prolific in terms of whether they... Um, blog, they tweet, they use social media. So these people are are influencers within the sector that they comment on. And that is why um, we can say with authority that the, you know, the results that we've got are not the results for now, they're they're the results for the next six months. Because these people are kind of trendsetters, they're going to um, tell us where the um, the direction of travel is. Okay, that's that's interesting. Were were there any, um, apart from that leap up on the climate and environmental issue, were there any other surprises for you this year in the research results? Um... That was uh, that for me was well that was a validation rather than mm. a surprise. It was a validation of something that I'd seen kind of happening, particularly within the media environment. The other surprise was, um, you know, I am I'm a voracious reader of the news, and I'm a big believer that fake news and misinformation is one of the big threats, particularly to our industry. What was interesting to me is that it's just not seen as such by informed consumers. In fact, the 
they're quite bored with it. It's just not seen as a priority. And they're... I mean, you can rationalise it in a number of different ways. You can see it as something that maybe they feel that nobody's had a clear point of view that has been worth listening to, or maybe they feel that the people reporting on it are so self-interested mm-hmm. that they struggle to find them credible. Yeah. So it it is quite interesting to see the issues that the media comment on and the issues that are actually important aren't always aligned. No, there is a, there's always a case of the media bubble talking to itself, isn't yeah. it? Something, as do we. Well, as do we, yeah. There's a PR bubble. I'm, like, I'm bang in the middle of that, <laughs> Venn, that little Venn diagram there. Um, tell me a bit more about... Um, give me some examples, Steph, because you're quite outspoken. <laughs> give me some examples of where oh, companies are getting this stuff right in terms of taking a stand and maybe one or two of where they're definitely, you know, yeah. there's, there's been a bit of a cock up. Um, I can give this example because it wasn't done by our agency, sadly, but I felt that um, KFC have been spot on mm. in their understanding of particularly supply chain issues and how to manage and deal with that. Yeah. So after um, the big chicken shortage last week, but it wasn't just that they've mm. continued, and I think the reason why they've got it so right is they've they've understood what their values are as a company. So they've, you know, the customer comes first and what the customer needs comes first and they've articulated that through all of their comms. But also they've given the right kind of tone. So they haven't underplayed how serious an issue it is, but they've also had a kind of tongue-in-cheek quality, which is very right for the brand. And this is what I'm saying, is about understanding reputationally how you can align that with your brand is so important. So I'd say they get it incredibly right. I mean, Nike is so overly exposed. It must be... Every conference of the past year. I would imagine (laughs) every client must see that picture and go, oh, God, here comes Colin. You know, it's like, yes, we know. They did it really well. But they... I think Nike made a choice. They made a choice about what was their future audience. And there's a huge risk to taking that choice. And I am sure that for every person they converted, they also alienated huge swathes of people. So um, that took a boldness, which, you know, not every company is in a position to take. Mm. Um, So I think, you know, those are the obvious ones. Companies that haven't done it quite right. Um, the, the most recent one that I've seen is the the Arsenal football shirt, which I thought was a brilliant piece of video content. I, I only saw the video content um, with Ian Wright kind of walking along and he was talking to both like the, you know, um, the people of London, but also the, the team and kind of talking about what it meant to be part of Arsenal. And I thought that was really nice. Um, but then they opened it up to you know to the public and ask people to well, their thoughts on the shirt and everything like that and they got absolutely deluged yeah. because ultimately I don't well I would guess like it was a marketing thing that where the reputational side hadn't been consulted and they probably would have said have you thought about the other football fans yeah and what this is going to do and some nice comment from Spurs fans on that particular <laughs> 
piece of uh, creative execution, obviously. Well, quite. And, but it's, it's hard. I do think, again, uh, this is not to take away with the brilliance of the creativity that kind of went out there. And I thought it was a lovely piece of content. But it's one thing where you, you, you have like a, a team that pushes things out very quickly without thinking about potential impact. Um, but there's, a, there's such a tension there, isn't there? Because right. you don't want the whole thing to end up being run by lawyers. No. Right. So you've got to, you've got to have that bold, quick fire, you know, test and learn, beta mode, creative mm. stuff going on because right. of the social and digital environment. Yeah. So is corporate comms going to be putting, you know, are they tem- are they, is it likely that working closer together will mean that creativity is tempered or it's just another thing to think about? Well, I, I would argue, they, I mean, it, obviously. I'm not saying that corporate, corporate comms people are not creative. <laughs> <laughs> just to clarify. Well, that was just like, that was my point. It's like, why can we not be creative? Yeah. And I, I think it's, I mean, it's, so I do a lot of crisis and issues. And for me, the key thing is you can only be agile properly if you know who you are as a brand and mm-hmm. you know the values that you represent and you know what it takes to kind of be agile so you can make decisions that aren't going to kind of come back at you. And I think if you don't do that due diligence at the start, that's when you see an issue. Right, okay. So um, I think particularly with the companies that are on the up, there is this, you know, because you're growing at the speed of light and you're trying to kind of take over share of voice and you're trying to kind of dominate the market, the the thing that gets forgotten is the narrative, the you know the sense of purpose, <laughs> the you know what values you have. Because it seems an aside, it seems like something you don't need to do. And I would seriously counsel clients or you know new, particularly new um, disruptors, to not lose sight of who they are mm. as they're going up, because that's what will destabilize you when you're going down yeah no good advice and on the back of the the research you know how how does this translate into the counsel you're giving clients you've got this you know great body of data that nobody else has got how does it (laughs) how's that you know what what are the kind of the key takeaways for you in terms of giving advice to clients from this well the interesting thing is um when I first started, um, you could exist in little silos, mm. um, and and that was an, an advantage in terms of you could create your own particular piece of messaging, and you didn't need to worry about anyone else, and therefore you could get things signed off. I would say nothing exists in a vacuum. I'm sure you've heard that before. Mm-hmm. It's very dull. Um, I would also <laughs> say, but I would also say you cannot hide, mm. right? Um, I had a very interesting discussion with a client of mine, which was was to the effect of we thought that we could continue business as usual when, in fact, our business was being eroded. Mm. And that is a for me, that's a fundamentally different environment that clients are in now. The, the kind of complete um, leveling of communications means that you cannot exist in a stagnant environment. You can't hide. Mm. And there will be people eating your lunch, people taking your share of voice, people eroding your brand and taking away your values because they will see your competitive advantage 
if they don't do that. Mm. So I, I think it's an interesting time, but it's also frightening well it's yeah it's it's exciting for you guys though right it's you know this is an exciting time for corporate comms if you're going to be end up having to work much more closely with other disciplines at different levels of the brand um that's kind of zhuzhing things up a bit for you guys isn't it 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 is and it's um but it's an education piece because there will still be the people within both sides who won't want that merger to happen Mm. they will not want that alignment they will feel very much that they can do either they can do it on their own or because they are only judged according to their own silo Mm. it's not a conversation that needs to happen Whereas the more progressive companies and the ones that will evolve and emerge out of this mm. are the ones that will recognise the changing environment. And maybe a, a bit of a culture clash as well. Between, well huge, yeah. right? Um, I have to say, I work very closely with our head of consumer, Lauren. Um, hi, Lauren, if you ever get to listen to this. Um, and um, I wanted her to be on this podcast as well because both of us have had huge enjoyment about the teams working together Mm. in a much more collaborative way and it's much more fun you're absolutely right for for us it's a brilliant opportunity it it kind of breaks down boundaries and it makes the environment a lot more dynamic and um, we can seize a lot more different well it's just better right yeah well it's better for the clients as well if you're you know, yeah. <laughs> working closer together and coming up with great ideas. Um, what, what, um, what would you say that, if, if you had to take one takeaway mm. as, a, as a brand from your authenticity gap research, what would it be? I mean, what would you go away and do tomorrow or start tomorrow that you're not doing now? Okay, I, I would say it is not business as usual. Okay. Um, You know, if you want to tread water, then the sharks will come and get you. Oh, wow. That's not a big one. (laughs) It's got sharks and we've had sharks and whales so far. Oh, God, I have. (laughs) It's it's an environmental theme. David Attenborough would be proud of it. There's a giant. Did you see that thing about the giant squid off the coast of Cornwall? I did. did, did. Let's insert squid. There was also a brilliant Guardian cartoon which had the giant squid as Boris Johnson. (laughs) Okay, that's that's gone somewhere else entirely. So, have you got any plans to take this global? I mean, this is you know, it's a, it's a it's a great sample of really kind of fun. Right. Yeah, this engaged consumers, obviously, a really high quality um, pool of yeah. people that so, you're researching. So, not just plans. We have already taken it global. So, it's in field in the US, in Germany, in China, and in Brazil. Wow. So we've got five different markets, which are key for us for a number of different reasons. And as of, I think, the US launch in September, um, I think Germany, once they hear all of these things, they will be next to launch. So will you be bringing everything together at any point into one big global report? I I would like that to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Whoever's in charge of that, let Steph have the budget to do a big report. I mean, it's fascinating stuff, and it's so relevant, you know. And nobody operates in in a in geographic silos anymore, do they? No, quite. Um, And actually, uh, having seen a lot of the research from a global perspective, what we're finding is exactly the same. Mm. I mean, obviously, there are different things triggering um, different conversations, but in the US, you, you know, you're seeing very similar patterns. 
Um, okay. Well, anything else that you think is worth pulling out of the study that we haven't covered so far? We've done I've talked about sharks. I've talked about whales. Any other sea creatures <laughs> who are mentioned in the authenticity gap? Uh, um, none. That, well, I don't know. I think, um, you know, if, if there's one piece of advice I would give my clients, other than break down your silos, but that's an impossible um, thing. The one thing that you could probably do tomorrow is actually prepare. So um, you know that data security is like a big issue. We know that data privacy is a big issue. The least you can do is make sure you're prepared for that next hack mm. because reputationally, that is the thing that is you're going to be judged by. Yeah, okay. Good advice. Steph Bailey, thanks very much for joining me in the echo chamber today. Absolute pleasure. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Today.